I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. My personal title is Life on God's Terms, dash the Sermon on the Mount. This is number 8 in a series of many, no doubt. There's much to say here, and Jesus deals with hearts in three chapters. A great teaching in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. A great teaching. It covers a lot of ground, deals with a lot of aspects of the human heart. A lot of people think that the Sermon on the Mount is a little radical, that it is beyond a man's ability to live this way. It's often declared to be basically just great moral teaching, but somewhat beyond the bounds of ordinary people like us to live by it. And so we are to find in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount the way we ought to live, the things that we should do, the highest goal from God to us on how we should conduct our affairs in this life. But it's not necessarily something that we're held to in life that we must live this way. However, if you read in the Sermon on the Mount, you read just the Beatitudes, you find that this doesn't talk like that. For example, in our first one, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you turn those around and use a little bit of logic for a moment, if we are not poor in spirit, then ours is not the kingdom of heaven. It can't be both ways. And it's not a little place beyond that where if you get there, you're all right. But no, you either are or you aren't. God makes it that way. Again, these words challenge the human heart. One of God's complaints in the Old Testament was in Isaiah 55. He said, your thoughts are not my thoughts. You don't think like I think. And consequently, your ways are not my ways. Now, man forever wants to justify his ways before God. He wants to declare that while God says this is the way we walk in it, man would like to say in this body, this frail body of flesh, we cannot do that. And man's appeal to God, you must understand that we're just human beings. We can't do that. That we cannot just take up this cross and follow you every day or turn the other cheek. It's just not possible that ordinary people can do that. And the Bible also declares for those who read it a little more carefully that no, you can't. No, you absolutely cannot. No human being apart from God is able to do any of this. All he can do is reason with God about why God is so narrow. But when God's life comes into a person, And a man has the Spirit of God in his life who Jesus said when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall take the things of Jesus, which includes this, and he shall reveal it or show it unto you. Not in some harsh, difficult, oh, I can't do it way, but in a way in which you know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And without Christ, you can't do any of this. You can as some great philosophers in the world and so-called great men in the world have spoken of the Sermon on the Mount in high lofty terms and they try to live by that. Well, I guess that's good, but only Christians can. 
They're not things here that without Christ you can do. The natural mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit because these things are spiritually disclosed or spiritually understood. Now, that puts you as a Christian in an exclusive lot of people. Don't you like to think that you're one of the few in the world that can do this? You don't. Well, anyway, you really should. Because he goes through here and begins to tell you all the things that will be on the other side. Theirs is the kingdom of God. You shall be comforted if you mourn. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. You won't go around empty all the time. You'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, we said last time, for they shall be called the children of God. Who else can make a claim to this? Scholarly people can't. Educated, mentally blessed people can't do it. High IQs can't do this. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. It has to be something that God does. Be for sure about this, that when God called you out of this world, he makes it possible for you to live like this. Now, if you're willing, because it comes down to that, we all live by wills. We are, as I've said before, we are where we are tonight. We are what we are tonight by the choices we've made in life. Something has influenced us. That's where we are by the choices we've made. And God takes us out of a miry clay, puts new life inside of us, opens our eyes so that we can see what we've never seen before. The eyes of our heart are being enlightened. And now we see things in a spiritual dimension in a way that a natural man cannot. But that doesn't mean that you'll do it. For he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You must be willing. There must be inside of you a recognition that God is altogether right, and without him I am altogether wrong. That the only way I can please him is to be faithful to him. Because without being faithful to God, I cannot please him. Do you understand that? When the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God, it means in practical terms, without me being faithful in my response to God, on his terms, I cannot please him. I don't care how hard I try, how many other things I do in this life, without that I cannot please him. So these Beatitudes are describing the character of people that will live with God, inherit the earth, and the kingdom of heaven, and on and on and on. And it comes down to verse 10 tonight, verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12 in the Sermon on the Mount. And he declares, verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, just like verse 3, being poor in spirit. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and shall persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Here's what you do when that kind of trouble has come into your life because Christ has come into your life. Here's what Jesus says to do. He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
This is what it comes to. If your life begins to take on a different picture than people have known you by. If this was Charlestown, Indiana, where I lived, the people that I grew up with would think I can't be. I went to college with some people. Once a lady came to a Bible study I had in Lexington, Kentucky in 1973. I knew this girl in college. And she came to the meeting one night, and she walked in. There's a lot of people there. And, and she says, it is you. I said, hey, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing fine. She said, it's you. Are you going to talk to these people? Because she remembered the way it was. And I said, yeah. She says, wow, you know. Look at all these people. And then sat there, and she needed to hear it. It's hard for people to believe that you really are changing, especially in your hometown. I've lived here long anywhere I've ever lived, but this is not my hometown. And the hardest place, I think, to change is your hometown. Because people pigeonhole you when you're young. You're cataloged in a certain way, and they can't ever see you ever changing. And yet, when you come to Christ, if you really did, if you were truly born again, it's so easy to say you are. But if you've been born again and life starts new, a whole new life begins with all the opposition of the old. And you've got to work your way through it. And as God begins to give you his strength, you begin to start making application of divine truths and ways in your life. People notice it. They say, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's boy, the carpenter's son? How can this be? How could he be what they say? But when these things begin to change your life, you begin to take on the character of the kind of people that will live in eternity with Christ. These are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. These traits come forth. You really do become a meek person. You do not want to be like the tough, bad people. You don't want to be rude anymore. You don't want to be harsh. You don't want to be uh, aggravating, intimidating, and all that. You just want to have the same kind of spirit in you that was in Christ. Because he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. A kind of life that can only be found in Christ. There's no other way for that kind of life to come. And yet that's the life that has peace and joy and serenity to it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this kind of person says, I fear no evil. Goodness and mercy follow me every day of my life. I take no thought for tomorrow. God's already in my tomorrows. How can you think like that? How can you live like that? Because he's changing me. My blessed Savior, I'm not the same person that I used to be. How did you do it? I didn't. I simply yield to the work of the Spirit, and this is what is happening. Tonight, number eight in this study about persecution, don't think it's strange that your life, which takes on a whole new character, is not offensive to those you used to know or offensive to those around you. The world lieth in darkness, doesn't it? And God brings what to your heart? Light. And as he goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, your light's supposed to shine. There has to be evidence in our lives that something really has happened in us. There has to be some kind of evidence. And because you're willing, again, back to that, because you're willing 
to live this life and make the adjustments in your life as you're prompted by the Spirit and begin to walk in newness of life, a lot of people who used to like you really don't anymore. Early on, they begin to think you've gone too far with this or you're a little bit fanatical or you're a dogmatic or you're getting legalistic, whatever word that they use to describe the fact that you've gone one step too far towards God. And they would like to think that they don't have to live that way, that you're just gone overboard. They begin to talk about you. They begin to whisper about you. You no longer find things in the community are as inclined towards you as they used to be. You're not invited to certain places or do certain things. Your name is not thrown around as that really wonderful person that you thought you once were. You're now beginning to be spoken of only in religious terms. Well, they've kind of gotten into this religion. They've kind of gone overboard with this thing. Well, they used to be normal. Now they're, I don't know, every time you see them, they say, praise the Lord. You don't need to do all that. People say that about you. You got the smile on your face. They think you stole something because you got this, you know, the joy. Jesus said, my joy, I'll give to you. Didn't he say that? And you start experiencing it. And even that is offensive to people. Let me tell you something that I think can be offensive to. I think a scowl can be offensive. I've seen people in my life come here for the first time. I could point out a couple of memorable ones that could not wait to get out of here. I don't think they knew what they were getting into when they got here. And I was doing what I'm doing right now. And these words were so offensive to, let's say, the liberal mind. I've had that happen a number of times in my life, not here, but a lot of places through the last 40 years plus. And I would much rather have a smiling face looking at me than a scowling face. Amen. So let's go back to verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, the word persecuted is a Greek word which means to pursue or to cause to flee. To pursue or to cause to flee or to pursue with malignity. The act or practice of persecuting, the Webster's Dictionary said, especially those who differ in origin, religion, or social outlook. Races have been persecuted. Nationalities have been persecuted. A family name has been persecuted. Churches, certain kinds of churches, Pentecostal churches get persecuted. You know, they're the tongues talking, slobbering, rolling in the floor. And that's the way they are talked about in churches that, would never do that, of course. I've never done that myself, at least rolling the floor and slobbering. But they would speak down about you, down about your race, down about your name, down about your business. It's just a way of calling attention to you in order to bring adversity or discomfort in your life. Nobody likes to be persecuted. If you like persecution, you need deliverance. Nobody likes it. But if you want to be a Christian, and I'm kind of the ilk at this age in my life to tell anybody to say, I want to be saved. I say, now, if you really do want to be saved, here's what's going to cost you. You're going to have to live a kind of life that you never lived before, that you can only live by the help of God. And if you live that way, you're going to be persecuted for it. You're going to be marked out, singled out for adversity. 
Because somebody won't like your stands, they won't like your beliefs, they won't like the things that you do or like the things that you say. And because persecution has such a ill effect in society, the church today, and, and most everybody, and I can see why, do their very best to avoid persecution. We do our very best in churches to avoid subject matter that if in the community was spoken and misunderstood, we would be maligned. You avoid certain issues. You don't talk about marriage as far as divorce or remarriage, or you don't talk about the holidays, or if you have convictions about that. You don't talk about a lot of things that might set you up for trouble. If you believed in divine healing rather than divine sickness, you know what divine sickness is, that God doesn't want to heal his people. He wants some of them to be sick. Divine healing, if you believe in that right away, you know the world doesn't. All the world knows is what is offered by the world. That's all they know. That's what they're attached to. That's what they're hooked in with. That's what they depend on, count on, have their security in. And if it isn't like that, anything that's different from that, there's something weird about it. And you know, as a Christian, that when God begins to open your eyes to see things you've never seen before, maybe things you say, I don't know about that, I don't know about that. But when you are willing to lay hold of the same plow and see it his way and walk as though what he said is true, even though members maybe of your own family think you're all whacked up, Jesus said sometimes a man's enemies, in Matthew 10, a man's enemies will be they in his own house. You know it's going to cost you to take a stand. You know if you say you believe something right away, you know the devil's going to say, well, you're going to isolate yourself from people here and people there. So, if you're a wise preacher or a wise person, just avoid some subjects. If it comes up, make it gray. Give everybody the benefit of the doubt. You might be right. I don't, you know, it could be, you know. And so don't take a stand. You're all right. The preachers I have known in my life that were most persecuted were the people who explained what they meant. They explained what they believed. You know, I believe in faith for this. And they say, now anybody can say, well, I believe God. But when you say now to believe God means this. To believe God means that you must and you do and you do because that's what the Bible says. Well, when you start explaining what the Bible says, you lose friends. Because people like to have it general. We'd like to have it where the way I believe it is as good as anybody else's. And, and nobody can cram this down my throat to make me believe like them. And so we tend to think that, well... If I'm going to enjoy social acceptance and I'm going to be Mr. Good Guy in the community, then I'm going to have to learn what to leave alone and what to walk away from. And yet here's what Jesus said about that attitude. I'm sure you've heard these before. Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, he said, Woe are you. When all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers of the false prophets. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. For that which is highly esteemed among men, like your reputation, whatever you prize and you're shooting for in life, whatever is highly esteemed among men is what? Is an abomination to God. That which is highly esteemed amongst men is an abomination to God. And Jesus said this too about those who aspire to have it in a way in which the world is comforting to them. 
Jesus said in John 15, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Let me ask you a question. Why would the world hate you, which once loved you? Love meaning accepted. You were welcomed into their circles and run with them and do all the things that you do. Jesus said this. He said, I have called you out of the world. Now, you still live in the world, don't you? So we're talking about spiritual language here. I have called you to undo yourself from the ways and the pattern of the world and to come to me and begin to adapt yourself and pattern yourself after the ways of God. And when you do this, the world no longer loves you. In fact, Jesus said the world will hate you. Now, is that true? The world hates you? That's what Jesus said. The world is going to hate you. Our persecution in this life is brought about because we live right. We talk about living right. Right is light. If you live right, it's because you have new light that you're being guided by. Light is a wonderful subject, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. As we'll find later on, Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, how can light be darkness? How can light be darkness? Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How can that be? It doesn't make sense. Light is God's right ways, the way he wants us to live. Light is revelation that God is speaking to his people, said this is the way walking in it. No other way is right. No matter how noble man makes different ways and different religions and different patterns of life, nothing else is right. Only God's way is right. And the only thing that makes it right is the light that God gives that you're ordering your life by. I said our persecution is brought about by living Right in a wrong world. What does wrong mean in this little statement? Wrong is darkness. If something is not light, what is it? People say that, well, this is how I see it. In other words, they are saying, the light that I have leads me this way. But what if it's not the way God said? What does God call their idea of what's right? Darkness. And if it's dark, it's wrong. So persecution comes because we choose to live right in a wrong world. As John says, the world lieth in the wicked one, or it lies in darkness, that the devil is a prince of the power of the air, the one we're fighting and struggling with in life, not flesh and blood, but spirits. They're everywhere. They control people. They come in early in people's lives. We have escaped only because God called us out of darkness. God opened our eyes. God instilled us to walk in a way. And God is changing us. And that's the only way we escape from darkness. Because no man is capable in and of himself to just reason it out and do it and understand it. If he could do it that way, he wouldn't need Jesus. He wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. All he needs to do is just reason it out and use his intellect. I told a principal in high school that once. 
Mr. Reese, he's gone now. I said, you think then if a man just lives right and does right in the community because he was one of them and he behaves himself and has a good reputation and is kind and so forth, you think that's all it takes to get to heaven? He said, yeah, I, I think that's pretty good. I said, then Jesus Christ was a fool because you told me you don't need him. Well, he said, this conversation is over. And I said, okay. I had to go coach anyway. I knew it was last year. Me and principals, except for these good principals here. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I read in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 27, why this world which lies in darkness doesn't like you. If you live right, if you're living in the light that God has given, you live it. Not compromising it, but living it. Not trying to aggravate people. Not all persecution that happens is for righteousness sake. Some people have no wisdom at all on how to live their life. Not all persecution because you're doing something right. But if you are doing something right, what did Proverbs 29 and verse 27 say about a just man and an unjust man? Let me read this. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 27. It used to be at the last verse. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. That's why kids hang the pictures of rock singers on their wall because they're just rock singers. Excuse me, that's not right. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. Because the wicked don't like the fact that you're living a life in front of them that makes guilt come into their life. One of the most dreaded things in human life is guilt. One of the things that people detest and despise is to go anywhere and get convicted and have guilt. Guilt is that emotion that says you deserve punishment. And you can't get rid of it. You can get drunk and you can run around and you can act this way and act that way. But when you come back to your senses, eventually you do. It's still there. It goes nowhere. Except when you get saved in Isaiah 53, it says, Jesus bore our guilt. I'm so glad that he took away all those things that just beat on my head when I was a child. And though I tried to act like I was having fun and doing all this stuff, and I was in college especially, I could never escape the fact that the sentence of death was lodged in my heart, and I could not get rid of it. But there were times in my life that this would come to me, and the worst time I could think of at a a place I shouldn't have been, and the thought, if you die right now, you'll perish. And I knew that and did it anyway. I could not turn my life around. Actually, I didn't want to because I knew this, and this actually happened. I knew that if I was to give my heart to God and turn around, all the guys I'm having fun with now would eventually walk away from me. Because I'm not doing what they're doing, and they won't do what I'm doing, and there's this gap between us. And they did walk away. They still speak. We're still friendly. We still talk about our days in high school, but we don't run around anymore. It's light and darkness. In Second Corinthians 6, then they say that what fellowship does light have with darkness? What do you do that's of a common ground? You can't. There's nothing there. 
Listen to what Psalm 37, 12 says about the wicked or the unjust who hate the righteous. Psalm 37, 12 says, The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. Sometimes I feel like this particular message tonight has been left out of Christianity. Because again, this dual theme in the church today is comfort and happiness. Make me comfortable, make me happy. And so many preachers know that's why they avoid certain subjects. You'll never hear them teach on it. They'll never take a stand on some subjects in the Bible because if you preach on some things, it makes people uncomfortable. If they think you're right, they become unhappy. And you don't feel this glad to be here tonight if I'm uncomfortable or unhappy about what I've heard, especially if it has to do with my personal life and I have to deal with myself. On the other hand, what good is it for us to be here if what we're hearing isn't going to affect the way we live? We might as well go home and watch Nat Geo. Because if we're not here willing to let God say whatever this body of clay needs to hear to be like he is, then the kingdom of heaven is not where I'm going to spend eternity. This is a treasure, folks. The word of God is a treasure. And it's because, precisely because of the word and the effect it has upon your life that people don't like you. Now, they may be nice to you in public, but they really don't want to be around you and sometimes not even seen with you because of your reputation as being too far to the whatever. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Follow me with just three or four verses of Scripture here to show you why we're persecuted and the effect that it has and so on and so forth. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. I'm sure these verses are familiar to you. Yea, and all those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Shall suffer persecution. Suffer is not a kind word. It's a common word in Scripture. It's a word that Christians have to deal with and understand because you are assigned in this life. It is given unto you to suffer on his behalf. Suffering is sometimes is defined as what I go through, what I allow and deal with because of a decision I made to walk with the Lord. And he says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What does godly mean? Godly has to do with the relationship that you have with God, out of which reverence and holy living is the goal. It's rendering to God the reverence and worship that comes forth from a holy life. It's a choice you make. Isn't it true that if you live the way God wants you to live, you would live holy? That God would never ask you to live unholy? Is it not true that God's expectation of you is much higher than our expectation of ourselves? While God does not dismiss what he said to you as an absolute, we dismiss it because, again, we esteem ourselves as so weak and so little that we can't do this. We can get enough people around us to agree with us, then we can make a doctrine out of it. You know, we should, we ought to, but we can't, but God understands anyway. And yet God doesn't say that. 
That's why the Sermon on the Mount is considered so radical. Because God said this is the way. You will be persecuted. Paul wrote, as all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You live godly. You're living according to what God has said. You've attached yourself to God in such a way that his way becomes your way. Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as servants and harmless as doves. Wolves will take advantage of you. They will discover right away early on the job site or at the business or wherever you are in school. They will discover right away that you're different. First of all, you don't cuss. Secondly, you don't hang out and drink. And thirdly, the music you listen to is not crazy. It's not noise. What is called music today, let me say it for the 9,000th time. What is called music today is nothing more than noise. Jumbled up, screaming noise. I think all of those, I think they're all in pain crying for help and people are clapping. They act like they're hurting. But anyway, forgive me. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Brother shall deliver up brother to death. Why? And the father of the child, how could that be? And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Wow. And you, verse 22, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake or on account of Jesus. But he that endures to the end will not compromise back up or faint. He shall be saved. Verse 22 is a handful theologically. Not many people want to deal with it, but it is. Trust me, it's a handful. Verse 23. When they persecute you in this city, flee ye to another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or the devil, how much more shall they call them of his household? You cannot escape the biblical fact that if you are a Christian and you live as you are taught by the Lord, you will be persecuted, you will be hated, you will suffer the consequences of living right. And the easiest thing you will ever do in this life, by far the easiest thing any man or woman can do in this life is to give up. Just quit. Just quit. Give up. Throw in the towel. Can't do it. Don't want to. Whatever. Go over two books to John chapter 17 and Jesus' high priestly prayer before his crucifixion. John 17 and verse 14, listen to these words. 
He's praying. He said, concerning us, I have given them thy word. Is that what you're holding tonight? Anybody can hold the Bible. Anybody can own a Bible. Anybody can read a Bible. But when it is given to you and your eyes are open and the treasure of truth comes into your heart, that's a different story. Jesus said, that's what I've done. I have given to them thy truth and the world hates them. Why was it in the New Testament that everywhere Christians went, Every time they did something, people railed on them and hated them. Why was it that the Apostle Paul was continually harassed by his opponents constantly? Why? Because they hate what he said, and they hate him for saying it. Verse 14 ends by saying, Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Let me ask you a question for the second time on this same subject. How is it that he speaks of us as not being of the world? We are in it. I'm sure we're in it because I think I am right now. I'm on planet Earth. I'm in it. I partake of it. I make a living down here. I breathe the air and eat the food that grows on this earth, but I'm not of it. What does that mean? See, again, to be taught is to understand. Not just to hear phrases, but to understand what phrases mean. What does it mean to be in the world but not of it? It means you no longer adapt yourself to its system of ways and doings because you've been given something better. You have two choices here. you got the world's way, you got God's way. They're both choices. By far, the majority of the world chooses the world's way because how could anything else be right? And God offers his way. He said, this is the way walking in it. Everybody has a will. We've all got one. That's why we're all equal and accountable. And with your will, you would choose either God's way or you would choose the world's way because either somebody will talk you out of this. I don't understand it. I can't get it. And I'm afraid it won't work. And so you go the other way. Everybody applauds you for your wisdom when you choose the world. But when you choose God's way and you make the change and it's seen by how you live that you made the change, it, it bothers everybody. Again, I go back to my own life. I know this one better than your all's. I remember walking to the teacher's lounge after about a year of being saved. By this time, the reputation was out that I was a Christian. Well, everybody goes to church, but oh, no, not him. He's on the far right. I'd walk in the teacher's lounge, and you could just, <clears throat> they quit cussing, except for one guy. Hey, Billy Graham. What? He said, <laughs> well, he used to say something. I said, I told him one time I was going to preach to him. He said, not to me. Of course, I think I said something like, well, quit talking then. You know, quit talking to me about that. I wasn't real good at being meek in those days. I wasn't. I didn't like this guy, and he didn't like me, and we were just like acid and water. And I should have learned from stuff he said to mock me, you know, to scoff at you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had to go apologize to him once because I, um, I had a talk with him. We had a little firm talk, and then I had to go back and apologize for having so firm a talk with this guy. 
because on the inside, the old thing was hanging around. I really wanted to deal with him. And uh, he said some things in front of my class. And I went, yeah, well, and then walked out of the room. And I thought, I'm going to whip him so bad after school today that his mother won't know who he is. <laughs> but then I realized those kind of thoughts don't come from inside. They come from somewhere else. And because of the thoughts, I had to call him aside from school. And I said, so-and-so, I- I'm sorry I-, I said what I said to you today. <laughs> What's the matter? Your conscience bothering you, Billy? Boy, you're making it hard on me to be nice to you. I'll say that to you. But isn't this what the Bible teaches? It just happened to be me as a school teacher. It could happen to you in the classroom at school or in college. Or where you work, your neighbor next door, or whoever you hang out with. If you cannot live your testimony in front of your Facebook crowd, whoever you tweet with, whatever y'all do with all of it. If they don't know that you're sincere and you're a loving Christian person, then you're hiding your candle. And the reason you hide it is because you don't want them to persecute you. And that is precisely what Jesus said will happen to those people that are going to have their home in heaven. And you're not trying to get aggravate these people. You don't go into a group of former friends and say... Praise God. Hallelujah. Woo! You don't do that. Y'all going to hell. Turn or burn. You don't do that. Jesus said be wise as serpents. You got to have some kind of attack. You don't just, <laughs> you don't do it that way. Neither do you hide your candle under a bushel. God will have to show you. But concerning the things he said, I've given them my word and the world has hated them. Some of the reasons that we get persecuted, take holidays. I'm speaking about myself now. I remember the first time somebody challenged me about holidays, Christmas, for example. And just a few questions were asked because I had never challenged that in my life, had no reason to. I enjoyed my gifts. I hated to buy them, but enjoyed what I got. Don't mess with that. That's a sacred cow. And one day somebody said, well, what about it? It's not in the Bible. It was an invention of man. Read the encyclopedia. And in my mind, I said, I don't want to read anything. I don't want to read anything about it. Like a lady here in this town said, oh, a hundred years ago, we were having a Bible study over here in the French Quarter, Bondurant Heights. I had said, next week I'm going to talk on Christmas. It's about that time of year. She said, if you're going to talk about it, I'm not coming. Let me ask you something. Why wouldn't she want to hear that? I'm not trying to upset anybody's cart. I'm not trying to make trouble just trying to be accountable to God to say what I believe he says to his people that without hearing this, they're not going to go all the way. I just said, where do you get the holidays? Where do we get Santa Claus? Where do you get all the traditions and stuff that they're so warm and cozy, chestnuts and roasty, you know, all of that stuff every year? Remember when you all used to go buy presents all the time? You know what it would cost me today if I were doing this? I have 31 grandchildren and married kids and mates. You know what it would cost? We'd have to float alone. <laughs> I really wouldn't do that either. But, and I'm not glad because of that. I'm just thinking, you know, it's a useless and vain thing for me to try to attach Jesus to that story. 
I can't do that because it's not in line with the Bible. The Bible never said, not even once has it ever mentioned the birth of Jesus as a thing of celebration. So I began to read it. I went to the encyclopedia. I thought, it can't work. This isn't going to work. And then whenever I took the stand, I wrestled. I got convicted. I wrestled. Then I made the decision. Okay, Bonnie. Ah, We're not going to do it. Okay, so when does persecution come? December. (laughs) Brother Tom, will you be in the caroling group tonight? You won't? No. I'll talk to you later. And then you go in and talk to the preacher, and you know this. I don't start that. Don't don't bring that. I mean, what do you, man? We're going. This is Christmas time. Don't start that stuff. I'm not starting anything. What he was meaning was, don't live like that. Now we got all these plans made. Up in Indianapolis one night, many years ago, back in the early '70s, I taught on Halloween. See, I can't leave stuff alone. I thought on Halloween and how occultish it is and the danger of it concerning spirits that could attach themselves to your life. Well, these two ladies came up to me after it was over. I said, Brother Hamilton, would you pray for us? I said, well, what do you want me to pray for? She said, we're in a pickle or something like that. We are chair ladies of the Halloween party in our church. And I heard what you say tonight. I believe you're right, but I don't know what to do. You know what she's saying? If we go back to our church and say, oh, no, no, we don't do that anymore, what will happen to them? (laughs) Persecution. Boy, they're going to get hammered with a rusty nail. They know that. And so there's this, oh, I mean, I've got such a good reputation. I'm such a nice boy. If I do this, oh, God, they're going to crucify. And they will. Let me tell you something. When God gets done with you, there ain't much left. But what's left is all His. You know, I've lost everything. I've been thrown out, spit on, isolated. Say it, Lord. Let's hear it all. You come to the place where you say, I don't care. Tell me what it is. I remember healing. Talking about divine healing. That's the easy part. Teaching on healing. No problem with teaching on it. It's when you start living it. It's when that time comes and you'll be tested. It seems like you're always tested when people can watch. Healed by the stripes of Jesus. And then one day you come to church. (laughs) What's wrong with you, Brother Tom? You sick? (laughs) You say, by stripes I'm healed. Well, you don't look healed. You don't sound healed. How can you say that you're healed? Just like you did the other day when you shut the door on your finger. You didn't sound saved and you didn't look saved and you didn't talk saved. While you were telling that door what you thought of it. I'm healed because I believe I'm healed. Not because I look healed, sound healed, or feel healed. I choose to believe. The Bible said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, I begin to practice that. And the people who weren't too sure about that, had never been taught that, never been challenged, didn't want that. They're the ones who say, well, what, what, what's this all about? 
say, well, I tell you what, now that I've experienced it, I understand something about it, let me teach on it. All right, go ahead. So we start teaching on divine healing. There's 50 of them there the first night, 30 the next night, 10 the last night. Let me ask you why. Because they know that with living the life, you will be persecuted because you become different from other people. You got the same face, the same body, the same everything else, except that your life has a new direction now. You're willing to pay the price. People hear what they say about you. They know what you're going through. They know what kind of persecution that you're getting, and they just treasure the ways of this world. They can't give it up. To trust in God alone? We made that decision. To trust in God with all of our hearts many years ago. We didn't go around talking about it, asking anybody for anything, or never, ever, never. We just believe God. Just trust the Lord. And things begin to happen. And when things begin to happen, then people begin to listen. Because maybe for the first time in a lot of people's lives, they not only heard things that, ooh, wee, that's too far. But they saw it working, so they knew it was possible. It can work. It does work. God can supply all of your needs. God can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think he can't. God can give you good health and well-being. A righteous man may fall seven times, but God is able to lift him up. Sure, he has his pain, has his moments, but God heals, and people watch you. It does make your message credible because it was creditable before you ever spoke it. It's the word of God. It causes persecution. Or you take a non-political stand in the church. We're not on a voter drive this year. We're not choosing somebody to vote for or to back as a church. It is none of the church's business to be involved in all of that stuff. Others say, well, I disagree. You're fine. You can. You're not bound to what I say. If what I say is not in the Bible, forget it. I'm not anybody's conscience. But I know in whom I have and I know what I have believed. And when I've been brought out of the world, though I live in the world, I am not of it. I am not of that part of it either. You're welcome. I pray for those in authority. I pray for whoever the governor, I pray for the president, I pray for the mayors and the leaders and the policemen. I pray for them. I'm a Christian. I'm told to in First Timothy 2. But it's not my job to run anything political down here because it's not the way God set it up. It's the way man set it up. Somebody said the other day that the greatest document ever written was the Constitution of the United States. And I thought, wrong. The greatest document ever given to man to read is the Bible. And if anybody or anything speaks not according to this word, it's because they have no light. And if they have no light, but they think they have light, they walk in darkness. They get so attached to darkness that when light comes, they won't receive it. And they stay in darkness. Then they argue with you and they persecute you because, oh, you think you're right and everybody's wrong and so on and so forth. How many get persecuted because they don't believe in debt? I like to stay out of debt myself. You know, all the talk about what's your credit rating. I wouldn't have a mousy clue what my credit rating is. 
I don't know that I'd even understand the numbers if they did tell me. I don't owe anybody anything. So I don't know. And I teach you, get out of debt, all of you. Get out of debt. Owe no man anything but to love him. Quit making yourself a slave to somebody else's money-making ways. Just get out of debt. And boy, they think, well, how will you ever have anything? You know, that question came to me years ago. How are you ever going to have anything if you don't, you know, my daddy would say, that, son, how, you, you're never going to have anything. Your mom now signed for you. You never have a car. You can, if you want a new car, you go get one. We'll sign for you. And it wasn't a year later I had a new one. It was paid for. That was a testimony to my dad. I guess if he's still alive, he'd still be trying to find out how I got it. These things just don't work. You preach them, but nobody takes you seriously. And then when it does happen, they say, well, I wonder how that works. How do you get that? I didn't have a church supporting me for years and years. I didn't have a check every weekend or a security every weekend of some amount of money that I could have. Every week I was just living, going from place to place, church to church. Claim the new home. And the devil, I could hear him laughing <laughs> How are you ever going to have anything? I realize now, as I look back 30 years ago when all of this happened, that was necessary in my life then so that I can tell you today that I don't care who you are, it'll work for you too. Does it work for me? I told them that in India when I was over there, and they didn't have nothing much to write on except a piece of paper like that. Nobody ever taught these people anything. Had never learned anything. All these missionaries with their cameras taking pictures of the large crowd. I didn't teach these people anything. They didn't know that they could live above where they were. And then somebody said, well, you can do that in America, but you couldn't do it over in India. Huh. Could God be in India? Could he honor his word over there as he would over here? Well, then he could do it. And people persecute. The guys I was with persecuted me over there. Oh, I think you're a little bit off on that, brother. And then I started praying, Lord, let these guys quit teaching. Let me do all of it. And they did. They did. The last day or two I was with those Indians in 1986. They finally said, brother, you seem to have the best goal. Why don't you just do it all? Thank you. And I did. I had four hours in the morning, one hour in the evening. And I loved it. They sit there just like owls on limbs. They wouldn't move. They'd hang on to every word you taught. And i say, look in your Bible. And I'd tell them, do you believe it because it's in this book? I don't know whatever happened to them. I don't guess I ever will know. But I know they heard it. But I know we get persecuted because we take these stands. How about getting persecuted for saying that I don't align myself with Disney World? The fantastic world, the fantasia world, the world of the supernatural of elves, no, dwarves, Snow White and the seven dwarves, and who was Sandy's little helpers, little elves? What are they? I've never seen one in here. <laughs> what about the magic? What about the magic? The witch? Is there something wrong with a witch? Isn't it just supposed to be cute? Is there anything wrong with a witch? How about the long nose of Pinocchio? 
Is there something wrong with that? It's not real, is it? There's so much occult in Disney World, so much that is not spawned of God, so much. Many years ago, I said no to this, and you would have thought, just like when I said Raggedy Ann dolls are out. And I got testimonies from people that children had a Raggedy Ann doll under the bed and couldn't sleep at night. They found the doll because I said it, threw the doll away, and the kid sleeps. So I would have to deduce by that that there's something that goes with all this stuff. So you start teaching this, and at first people go, oh, brother, next thing you know, there's going to be something wrong with apple pie. So far as I know, we're okay there. I hope so, because I sure like apple pie. Our eyes have been opened, brothers and sisters, and we are living a compelled life. That is, we are compelled by the Spirit of God within us to live a new life. For God, who caused light to shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Then he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 6, we are persecuted in this and we are that and we are this and we are that because of this life that is in us. But that's the way it works. Remember Acts 14, 22, it says, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom. When we started out tonight, did I say or did the Bible say persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is, what was it? Theirs is what? The kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. Whose? Those that are persecuted, that is, who don't back away and give up, but those who undergo and endure sufferings and hardship, theirs is the kingdom of God. Luke writes in Acts 14, he said, Acts 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the faithful and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must. Does your Bible say must? This is not a Hamiltonite word, is it? It's God's word. We must, through much tribulation, enter into this kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Can we enter into this kingdom without tribulation? I'm not talking about a child that dies early. I'm talking about me and you. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom. Now, as we commence closing, turn to John 16 and verse 1. Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. The word means to make to stumble. Scandalazo, we get our word scandal from this word. You should not be made to stumble. That you should not be offended. What is he saying? He said, I'm saying what I've just said to you so that you won't stumble and give up. Verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whoever kills you will think that he does God's service. We saw that in the Crusades, I suppose. And these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor Jesus. 
They don't know him. They think they're doing right by getting rid of you. And they don't know him. They don't know him or the Father. And the reason they're like that is because that's the nature in their heart. Yours is different. When they tied the folks to the stakes in Nero's garden, the Christians, they didn't fight. Hebrews 11 says they sought their deliverance in the next world, not in this world. They let them tie the stake. One man said, cut my tongue out so I cannot, in the midst of all the pain, renounce my faith. I don't want to be able to form the words. And they died. And the people who killed them in Nero's garden were thinking they did God a service. Praise the Lord. We got rid of another one, Lord. They don't know Jesus and they don't know the Lord. That's the way it is. See, this word offended, how many people compromise their convictions because they are offended? If I think I'm somebody, there was a time being in a family with a good name. My brother was a baseball player and well-known and popular, and our family was in good standing in Charlestown. I got saved. I got so saved that I didn't know any better than to just live saved. Everything that came our way, if we could see it in the Bible, we began to do it. And I know that, you know, when people started talking about me, my parents got a hold of it. And for the first time in their lives, they were hearing adverse comments made about one of their children. I knew that. I'm not stupid. I knew what was going on. But also knew as I wrestled with this, I thought... You know, I'm only trying to do what the Lord has shown me. I don't know any other way to live. I cannot compromise my convictions. I will not. And so this is the way I'm going to live. I moved away. Nobody here knew me so I could start all over again. But this is what happens when we're persecuted. We're persecuted because people don't like you. They don't like the way you live. They don't like your convictions. They don't like the stands you take. They don't like the fact that you don't dress that way anymore, don't drink that, watch that, talk that way. You don't go there anymore. You're not that cool person you used to be. Your life has changed. You can't go with them to places you used to go. Then they don't want to go with you to church. Everything changes, and then they start talking about you. I remember well one night after a ball game in Charlestown, We'd gotten beat by a team that we should have beat. We should have beat all of them. I mean, everybody I ever played, I thought I should win. Tried to. Oh. And I heard somebody say, too much Jesus on that team. Can you imagine in eternity what that's going to sound like to whoever said that? Too much Jesus. That year, five of my boys got saved. Cheerleaders, half of them got saved. Or they had moments. And because things didn't go well after you're a Christian, they blame it on Jesus. That's persecution. They were glad when I didn't come back. They were glad when I resigned. Get that out of here. We don't need that in here. I'm sure the principal was glad and I was gone. Maybe I misrepresented the Lord with my mouth on occasion. But you live the life. And people will scorn you for it. Or you can compromise. You can check it all out and see what is the best interest of you and your longevity or your best advantage in a town or a community. And maybe you can do this or do that. You find yourself being tempted to do something else. Be like a politician. Just learn to speak around the subject. 
Yeah, well, I, you know, you can't uh, they're right. Now, you can't argue with these people. I mean, that's what they believe. I'm not, you know, you folks got your way and they go, you know, let, let's just, let's don't talk, let's just leave it alone. And yet you cannot but take a stand. Why won't you sign this petition? Because it is not a Christian's place to protest like that in a government. I will not do it. So you think we're all wrong. See, that's where it goes. Well, you think we're all wrong. Well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Well, I'm glad you do. I'd rather you do that and not go to church. But I can't do that. And therefore, you're persecuted. People label you, harass you sometimes, say all manner of evil about you in 1 Peter chapter 2, 3, and 4. And we'll finish this next week as we start on salt and light. But I want you to keep this in mind this week. you got a life to live. When you came forward, held your hand up, whatever you did that you say you got saved, you got a life to live. We ought to see it, and so should the world. And that's where this thing leads next. After the Beatitudes, you are salt and you are light. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the opportunity that we have tonight to hear, to assemble, to understand by the power of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for all of this. Now may the words that you've given us tonight find a lodging place in our heart, not be dreaded, but that we might cope with these things and deal with these things and wrestle with them and reach the decision that pleases you where we will do what you said. We thank you tonight for the privilege of hearing the truth, walking the light, and of relating to you. Help us do this the right way. I ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen.